Welcome to the Amaze Podcast. Amaze creates free educational videos and resources to help families talk openly, honestly, and less awkwardly about sex, health, relationships, and growing up. Our goal is to help you become an askable parent so your kids trust that you're their go to for honest, non judgmental information. In today's episode, you'll hear an amazing conversation I had with author and speaker Bonnie Ruff. Bonnie's book, Beyond Birds and Bees, bringing home a new message to our kids about sex, love, and equality, was inspired by her family's move to the Netherlands, where she soon began to see the differences between American and Dutch cultural approaches to sex, bodies, love, and more. Bonnie and I talk about her experience, as well as her impression that American culture has confused the body with sexuality, sexuality with eroticism, eroticism with shame, and shame with safekeeping. Let's have a listen. I'm so excited to have Bonnie Ruff here. Hello. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So I'm really excited um, to introduce you to um, the Amaze community. Um, I would just like to get started, um, Bonnie, and have you tell our listeners a little bit about your background as a writer. Yeah, sure. So I started off after college as a journalist uh, doing daily news reporting in a mid-size, at a mid-sized newspaper in a small community in Southwest Washington State. So I kind of got my, um, I guess my reporting chops just, you know, really on the ground, um, learning to go and find out and then how much fun it is to write about it when you get the chance to really learn something that kind of gives you this big head shift. So um, I learned about journalism for a couple of years and then went on and actually did a sh- made a shift into literary nonfiction writing. I did an MFA at the University of Iowa. Mm-hmm. And then after that, um, I published my first book, which came out in 2010. That was a literary memoir called Carrier, Untangling the Danger in My DNA, which was a book about a genetic disorder that runs in my family and the decisions that my husband and I faced as the first generation um, in a long line that actually had genetic testing and could make more informed choices about whether and how to have children. So that was my first book. Yeah. And then um, beyond that, I've ri- I wrote another short literary memoir um, that came out from Kindle Singles a couple of years ago called The Girls Alone about six weird heritage-laden, funny days that I spent in Estonia, which is where my grandmother came from. Um, And I went on that trip with a friend. So there's a lot in there about, it seems like everything I write about ends up kind of coming back to threads of women and girls and bodies and what it is to live in one and how we can be comfortable with ourselves. That said, I never planned on writing a book about sex. That's Beyond Birds and Bees, bringing home a new message to our kids about sex, love, and equality. You might hear a little bit of a different tone in that. Um, Not exactly a literary memoir by any stretch. This is me as the reporter mom going, what am I going to do about teaching my, it happens to be that I have two daughters, teaching my kids how to navigate this world and our, what we bring to them culturally as far as sexuality and living in a female body goes and how to relate with people in any kind of body. Um, so what happened, the reason this book came about is that my family moved uh, to the Netherlands. Um, this was back in 2009 when my oldest was just a little squirt, two years old. And so we moved there for just 18 months. And while we lived there, I started to notice some things that I um, couldn't quite piece together yet, but I could see that these were um, 
There were clues for me basically on the ground. And when we moved back to the US and I gave birth to my second daughter, that's when I started to get really curious about cultural differences and how in the US and in, in, in I should say in American culture at large and then um, in Dutch culture, generally speaking, how we approach bodies and sexuality, relationships and love. And the next thing I knew, um, despite the fact that I was, you know, I'm the farthest thing you can imagine from like a Dr. Ruth or anything like that, um, I was working on a book because I had learned some things that it, I just, I have to share. It was, it's been so mind blowing for me as a parent. Well, it is mind blowing. And it, I mean, first, I think it's so interesting that your trajectory as a writer is, is so, I mean, it's really, it's really different to do kind of beat reporting and then move to memoir writing. And then, I mean, it's really, it's really very interesting. And also the other thing that strikes me is that so uh, when you had the idea for this book, I mean, your your kids were little like, no, <laughs> I mean, so dialing sort of winding back to when yeah. you had the idea to start writing, how old would they have been like two and zero or? I've, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, okay. about four and zero, really. Uh, my second daughter was born kind of after we splash landed back in the U.S. And at the same time, I was plopping back into a culture where I realized I felt different. Just in my body as a woman, living in uh, my neighborhood in the Netherlands and living in my wonderful new neighborhood in, in the U.S., in Seattle, this, you know, the area where I grew up. And so I just started looking around at what's the difference. And there's so much you can start to notice um, just from, you know, um, the little things that people do and say, you know, and the, the gifts, the blue and pink gifts for babies. And, the, um, you know, I mean, I, I was probably always a little bratty about that. And so I, I don't think I, I probably got a lot of yellow, um, but <laughs> myself, but, but at the same time, just going to the store, I mean, my husband and I both noticed it. I mean, that was a time there was a, not, not really that this changes all that much, unfortunately, but there was a lot of really nasty misogynist political discourse going on. And, we're looking at each other going, this is where we're raising our daughters. How, how do we teach? Fine. So then how do we teach them to navigate this? And then my secondary question was, why didn't it feel like this where I was before? What are they doing different? I mean, mm -hmm. I felt um, um, that kind of, we use that term male gaze, but just that sense that I think most American women and girls grow up learning to live with, of being watched, being, yeah. um, being looked at. Yeah. Yeah, well, so one just comical aside, um, I, I'm with you on the, the neutral gender clothing. We actually, um, we, we got a bird this year. My kid lobbied hard, put together a poster presentation. And we actually don't know if it's a boy or a girl, which I kind of love because it's all been about like teaching them gender neutral. Like we're, we don't do pronouns, it's kind of awesome. But <laughs> that is a total, total aside. Yeah, I would, I would actually like to dig into this topic a little bit more you're talking about um you know gender issues and i i would love to hear you know you talk in your book about um gender equity and what were some of the most compelling ways you saw this play out you know when you were living abroad yeah definitely well the first thing which i only realized later that the reasons had to do with gender equity is the first thing i actually noticed was how i felt in my neighborhood when you don't feel watched and you're not feeling judged, I notice, at least for me, I walked with my head up higher. 
I made eye contact with more people in my neighborhood. And um, in a weird way, without feeling like people were looking at me, I felt more connected. And, and I'm not saying they'd be looking at me for any reason other than that women get looked at in a certain way. And, and that's what I had grown up used to. But um, I felt without that sense of being judged, more connected with people in my community. I felt um, just happier and more, you know, comfortable in my skin and also creative. I kind of just felt like the world was my oyster all over again in a way I hadn't felt since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so then when I started to look more closely, I I saw, well, you know, how does that play out for um, adults in this society? Well, they, um, men and women and across all genders, you know, they enjoy a lot of equal protection. Um, as far as egalitarianism goes, men and women kind of share equally in a sense of um, embracing feminism. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are a lot of great examples I could just see among my friends and, um, and you know, across the culture of, you know, shared parenting. Um, certainly, men and women um, log different work hours and probably still, as far as I know, still make, um, there's still a gender wage gap in the Netherlands, but um, not like ours. And furthermore, then they were, it's not, so it's not just at home though, but in workplaces, there's um, just a greater sense of, there are more protections and men and women basically communicate better and on a more equal playing field. And so, Hmm. Over time, and you know what else they are? They're better at being friends across genders. Huh. Yeah, and that's something that was just thrilling for me to see how they start that in childhood, where there's no co- we have this, these cooties years, where you know if that gets going, um, Dutch parents and teachers will nip it in the bud with their kids and say, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, it's important for you to have friends of all genders at every age. And so I saw how it works for little kids to have those friendships and what it looks like if those persist right through their middle childhood years and into adulthood. Um, they, they never have that separated time where they forget how to relate and, and how to be together. So um, so then all of this adds up to what I eventually I probably should have known in the first place, but finally realized, oh, well, this is part of the explanation for why the Netherlands ranks as one of the most gender equal countries in the world. I mean, those those metrics are different. It's about women's health and education. However, I saw these like really nuanced little social manifestations and thought, I want this. I want this for me. I want this for my kids. How can I bring it home? Yes. I, th- I mean, that. I think that's great because I'm sitting here thinking, how, how can we atri- achieve this dream life in America? I mean, this is, that's a really dream life. Um, I wanted to know the how. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling, I mean, I think we're sort of touching on this, but I do want to write uh, or read this quote that caught my eye. You write, I needed to dramatically change my approach when it came to bodies, relationships and love urgently while my children were still young. You know, this this quote really caught my eye, um, you know, for the reason I mentioned earlier, where, you know, your kids were so little when this all happened, that that's often a time when parents are not thinking about talking to kids about sexuality at all. And also because, you know, at Amaze, we're always talking about, you know, early and often, just quick little touch points, but early, 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 and and oftentimes a lot earlier than parents think. So yet parents get awfully squeamish about having these conversations with their kids. 
So talk to me a little bit more about this urgency and um, was it was it seeing, you know, how, as you said, you know, Dutch parents, caregivers, adults would really nip those issues in the bud earlier? Is that is that what contributed to that sense of urgency for you? Yeah, for, there was kind of two things happening at the same time. One is that, you know, when my oldest was kind of hitting age three, it was just, it's sort of, you know, we all notice this, right, with our kids. They start to become more aware of their bodies. They're making, um, they're forming ideas about gender roles and things like that, that I, you, you know, there's some foundational things that you want to make sure that you have in place so that you can talk about all of that with them as they get curious. Um so there's that going on, you know, I would kind of lie awake at night sometimes thinking, well, you know, and then the other thing is, as just like any parent, you know, you have your worries, right? You think, well, if something, you know, if the unthinkable were to happen to my child and she didn't have the language to tell me about it, right? I mean, that's feels like that would be, you know, something I'd want to make sure I do everything to prevent. And yet there's that squeamish, squeamishness. We it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. We all know that. And then, um, so then there was that, but then I was, wow, I was feeling those things. I'm looking around at all of these examples of other caregivers who were really comfortable, you know, Mm -hmm. we're at the park and they're using totally naturally, um, correct anatomical terminology with their kids while they're changing them in the wide open space to jump into the waiting pool naked and nobody's thinking anything about the nudity nobody's um you know like uh, hyperventilating when they're using certain terms and i'm thinking okay so these are this is my example you know and that's what they're doing now and i feel behind now yeah i think in a different context, that sense of urgency wouldn't have been so strong because I wouldn't have had the opportunity to see that people could accomplish so much with such young kids. Um, but yeah, it was happening right in front of me. And I thought, I think I better be doing that too. You know, as a new mom too, you're just taking notes everywhere you look. So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head um, with another quote, which is you're right. American culture has confused the body with sexuality sexuality with eroticism, eroticism with shame, shame with safekeeping. Why do you think this is so pervasive in American culture and not in Dutch culture? Yeah, it's really interesting. That was part of my curiosity too. We have these, we have, you know, in any culture, there are different inheritances that we get. And and then there are also pivotal turning points within a culture where they say, okay, we're going to turn away from that. So there was a time when I would say that Dutch and American culture were pretty aligned in their general um, kind of, a, I guess, conservatism about sexuality. And there would there probably was a lot more, um, uh, a lot more of a prohibitionist stance, mm-hmm. young people and um, embracing sexuality. Mm-hmm. But then I would say, you know, the Dutch had a, had a, uh, equal rights or women's movement um, around the same time that we did. And interestingly, Dutch men were a lot more open to embracing feminist ideals than I would say American men were. So what happens is that they came out unified across genders of their women's movement. So that's one little piece. But I think I could probably speak a little bit more to what we what we get to experience here as American um, adults. You know, we inherit this this kind of dual um, 
this, we have this dual legacy of what we call Puritanism. Mm -hmm. And then also this fierce, wonderful, independent spirit. So to me, that's why we can have something like um, lots of like, make sure you stay covered up. Don't, don't be naked. If you're going to, you know, put your hand in your pants, you better not let anybody see. And, you know, like, which sounds really practical on the surface, but it, at the same time, there are messages there about that kind of little seeds of shame and, mm-hmm. and secrecy there alongside this explosive um, uh, popular culture that is like, you know, robustly sexualized mm-hmm. and, and trafficking in all kinds of sexual objectification of men and women. Um, so ha- to me, that's kind of like the independent spirit backlash to that puritanical secrecy and um, and celibacy kind of idea that we have. So it's, it is a really tough brew and that's what, you know, that's what we get served. So the thing that I love is knowing that we can look at that and go, I'll take it or no, thanks. I'm sending it back. I, I'd like something else. Um, it's a choice. We can, we can, um, you know, family by family, parent by parent, kid by kid, we can start to change the message. That's basically been my exciting takeaway. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And I love that, you know, I think that, um, it could be tempting, you know, there've been, uh, there was like the French parenting comparison book and there, there, I think it can be tempting to sort of get a little bit down about when you look at another culture, that's kind of doing the things that you wish your culture was doing and to feel a little bit bummed out about it. But I think you're right that finding those positive threads and the things that you actually can make happen in your family and in your community. I mean, I think that's huge. Yeah. And to me, one of the most useful things about looking at another culture, especially around parenting, is that it's not necessarily to say, okay, we're going to take take whatever we're doing here and turn it into whatever it is they do there. That's not possible. We have a totally different context. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also in the U.S., it's kind of like if it wouldn't be American if we weren't going to do it our own way. But I, I do think that w- what we do is when we see something that looks like a good idea or see something that we want, we know how to go after it. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like in our generation of parents, and, and I know that this has ebbed and flowed through um, caregiving over the past generations in the U.S., we have this desire to be more open with our kids, more um, just kind of honest and clear and in communication with them without letting that fall away and turn into this sort of bad dynamic of secrecy and forbidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... I think like we're ready for it. And t- I, I was right in that place going, okay, so I, I see the what, I know the why, but what's the how? Which is why I had to go back to the Netherlands and start looking at, at how to do it. Um, at how literally, what do they do and say in the classroom? What do they do and say in their living rooms? What does the health service tell parents in their brochure that they get at the doctor's office? Because mm-hmm. uh, I wanted a close look. But there's also to answer your question, the level of what do we tell our, our kids about, about, you know, how, how can we use the lessons from another culture to inform our messages for our kids? And my favorite way to do that is to tell my kids, this is what we do here. Say we wear our clothes at the swimming pool, mm-hmm. uh, but, but that's not the way it is everywhere. This isn't, this isn't a question of what's right or what's wrong. This is a question of what's customary. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, it's a choice. Mm-hmm. So, for example, changing at home 
I, you know, we let it be our kids choice if they're going to close their blinds in their bedroom before they change into their jammies at night. Um, that's a choice, not, yeah, not a, a rule or, or a question of what's right or wrong. Right. Well, uh, this is a good segue actually to my next question, which is, you know, what are your, we're talking about these like tangible things that we can pull, you know, from other experiences and other cultures. What are some of your top recommendations for parents who, you know, really want to foster these open, honest conversation with kids about, about sexuality, but are, you know, feeling a little squeamish? Yeah. Well, first of all, you have every right to feel squeamish. And, um, and I think what that comes from is how much we love and care for our kids, right? Um, we, the last thing we want to do is hurt them. We don't want to, we feel like there's a chance that we could make a mistake that will, um, you know, that will be exactly the wrong thing. And that was something I was really worried about, um, as I was doing my research and because of course, as you pointed out, I had my own little kids at the same time. Um, and I'm bringing everything home, the test kitchen, um, you know, everything that makes sense. But I think, um, so some of the, I, I guess, I guess I would say the best, um, the best thing I learned about that is that, uh, it's not true that childhood is equates with not knowing about sexuality. We often call children innocents, right? Mm-hmm. And we say, well, an innocent can't, doesn't know about reproduction or, or sex or intercourse or any of those things. Um, and once they do, they're no longer an innocent. And once they're no longer an innocent, they're no longer a child. That is a uniquely American idea that, that is such a burden for parents who know in their mind that, you know, well, kids, shouldn't they know about bodies and how that works? I mean, what's, you know, they, they learn how mushrooms reproduce at school. Why not us, you know? And yet, um, yet we're, we're really worried about harming their childhood. And I, again, I was too. But what I learned is that from expert after expert, is it's really not possible to tell a young child too much as long as you're coming from the right place. The like worst case scenario, you say more than they're ready for and it goes whoop, in one ear and out the other. So, yeah. and then, and so then the follow up, anything I tell my kids with more repetition. Those are the things for me for little kids is to take the plunge, go a little farther than I think maybe they, they want. Um, I see a lot of advice out there that says, you know, you know, they probably don't, don't even want or need as much as you might think. I kind of tend to like, go a little farther. I figured yeah, they'll throw it in the trash bin if they don't need it. And, um, and it's good practice for me. Right. So that's the other great thing about repetition. Um, and it's unbelievable. Like I will tell my kids all the details or my husband will read them a great book and, um, we'll do it again three months later. And then we'll kind of not get talked about for half a year. And the next thing you know, a penis is called a dangly bottom because we can't remember the right word for it. So, um, the, the, um, repetition is key. And it's so good for them, but it's also so good for us because we get to practice. And honestly, honestly, it gets so much easier that eventually it gets fun. And that might sound insane, but that's, yeah, those are some of my tips for the little kids. And I have some in the book too for, for older, older kids. I think that's great. I mean, I think it really is, um, you know, one of the things I know you've been in touch with Nora Gelpern, who's one of our amazing educators. Mm-hmm. I, I think she... I've learned so much from her and she is always, you know, saying like, you, you just gotta, you just gotta go out there and do it. And there, <laughs> and, um, 
you know, and then it does, it really does kind of become fun. And I know that I, I, I have a uh, 13 and a seven year old and I'm always kind of like, okay, who's ready for talking about something. And they're, I think they're my 13 year old, especially there's some eye rolling, but she, <laughs> you know, it's good to know for them to know that they can come to you. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. And, you know, Nora for sure has, you know, I've definitely learned that you, you just have to kind of like, you know, be open and, you know, let them know you're there and, and they will ask you and you won't always have the answers and that's okay. Like you could look up answers together. I think that's one thing that I really loved learning from her is there's actually a lot of power in saying, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but let's look it up together. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's the other thing is that, you know, nurturing someone in their healthy sexuality is not a one way transaction. It's something that parents or caregivers and educators can can collaborate with children on. So there's absolutely not just this like, and now I'm spouting information for you, but there's, let's find out. There's, what do your friends think about this? There's, what do you, what's been your experience with A, B, or C? Um, and, and learning and discovering that together. And like you say, keeping those lines of communication open, that's one of the other most surprising kind of Dutch secrets is that if you can imagine, most Dutch parents expect that they'll find, they'll know because their kids will tell them before they have sex for the first time mm. because those lines of communication have been open. And so what happens is that while, you know, maybe the timing isn't, isn't in the parent's control and arguably it never really is. Um, at the same time, there's that communication so that young people can go in really prepared. I noticed that there's this different attitude where delaying um, young people's, I don't know, first time that they have sex, whatever, however you define that, They're, that's complicated too. It's kind of a self-defined, but delaying isn't really the only goal. A, a bigger and more positive goal is, is how do we help kids um, have a, a healthy, positive, safe, wonderful experience right. rather than kind of timing, which ultimately when you look at those other bigger most wonderful things that we want for them. Timing's a little arbitrary. Um, obviously, you know, that can be really sensitive, but yeah, those, those open lines of communication can help parents and kids continue to, um, yeah, continue to be in relationship about sexuality. And by the way, Dutch kids who have such awesome, awesome outcomes with their sexual health, um, don't have sex any younger than American kids. And all of them are waiting a little longer these days, almost age 18 at average. Um, but again, I, I've met some amazing parents and young people that make me question the, the whole paradigm of, well, the later, the, the better. It's not true for everyone. Um, is there anything else in closing, anything you wanted to share about, about the book or anything else? But the one thing I would say is that I have a few, um, just some more resources and information, including some recommended books that I love for parents and for kids on my website, which is bonniejane.com. Thank you everybody for joining us. And thank you, Bonnie, so much for taking the time out of your schedule. I know it's a busy, busy, busy time. What a pleasure. What a great opportunity. Thank you. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To find more free educational resources from Amaze, including videos, book recommendations, conversational scripts, and more, visit amaze.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Amaze Parents, and on Twitter at Amaze.org. And we'd be so grateful if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.